Hi, thanks for tuning in. I'm Janine, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. The following conversation with my guest, Carrie Potts, is not suitable for young children. Thanks for tuning in. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. I hope my next guest knew the name of my show, and she's not shocked. Uh, Standing by to join me is Carrie Potts. She's Vice President of External Affairs for the Institute for Women's Policy Research, and she's also a fellow alum at Syracuse University, and I found her on LinkedIn. So welcome. Thanks for joining me. Uh, Very happy to be joined with you. Absolutely. And that is a sweet name for a show. And uh, maybe a month ago when I was still working at Disney, it might have been a little harder to book this interview. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) That would have been a hard email that was under my bosses. No, I think it's a great name. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's it's very timely. I'm having a lot of people come on the show. Actually, typically I just do the show on Mondays. I do it live from our studios at UC Irvine. Um, and by the way, I watched a video saying that you had actually, you thought of applying or you did apply. I was, I did, you saw that. Yeah. I was like, I have a, I had a recruiting letter. It was the anteaters. Yeah. I was, yes. you know, I still wanted to play West Coast volleyball. It was just so hard to get recruited out there because they have such a bevy of talents. So like, why would they right. go get a kid from Long Island? But yeah, no, I was talking to the anteaters for a while. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but anyway, when I saw your post on uh, LinkedIn, I really wanted to have you on for so many reasons. Good. First, I do want to talk about your TED Talk, but before I get to that, I was watching um, a really inter- interesting interview with you, and you talked about sports. Uh-huh. And um, I want you to take me back to when you were little, because I was watching how you're talking about how when you were crawling, you were like unbelievable crawler incredible body strength. I mean, where does yeah. this interest in sports come from? Well, I, I think, well, I think it's partly how we socialize kids, right? Strong, fast, you know, athlete, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, the things that we still reward today, you know, physicality and size. Uh, so I was this big kid, really big. Um, and I was a combat crawler, so I never learned how to crawl normal. I just pulled myself with my, with my two arms around everywhere, just like my legs dragging behind me. And I didn't learn to crawl normal until after I learned to walk for whatever reason. But what, it did, what, but what I can say is it developed me very much so in the upper body, which most women don't have. We're not mm-hmm. encouraged to in sport. It's not something like we really focus on. Um, and we just like kind of say women just don't have a lot of upper body strength. Well, so I had this like so much upper body strength and it got me into trouble because I could climb over things like fences. Yeah. Out of the back. <laughs> when you were like two? Two yeah. years old and crawled all the way up the back of our green belt. There was like paths in the woods and I crawled all the way up the street. My mother was losing her mind. Like horrified. Yeah. She went, I mean, we had a fenced yard up on a green belt. She went in to get iced tea you know, to come back out and I'm not there. Um, yeah. Right. You would never think your two year old. <laughs> no. Yeah. So from that point on, pretty much they put me in, uh, at the time it was just called acrobatics, mm-hmm. you know? And, oh, I just, I really flourished there. Yeah, you know, it's, it's cause you're encouraged. Yes. You know, to, to, and then you start to explore your body and, you know, you're told that you're strong. And, and so I think it just sets in motion. Mm-hmm. 
the it's just the perfect landscape for athletics absolutely i think sports create this amazing foundation for adulthood yeah um it just carries you through. I know when I was um, in high school in Connecticut, I, my dad was an athlete. He played basketball for um, University of Bridgeport and University of Connecticut. But oh, awesome. he, was, he was always very supportive, like, go out for the basketball team, and I could hardly shoot a basket. And I played lacrosse for four years. And then oh. at Syracuse, he talked to some coach and said, yeah, my daughter will try out for crew. No problem. I had never rowed. And, they don't and care. I, they, they'll check care. you out. They want you. Yeah, I made they'll come right up to you. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, it's it stays with me today. And sports helps you through those good times, bad times, especially the bad times. Yeah, it just really, really helps you. I think it's well. I mean, the part of it, especially when you go the gymnastics route, I always say to a lot of people, get your kids in gymnastics if you can, and then get them out before they start growing, like I did, because I think it, that's why I have so many knee like joint problems because you're just like pounding your growth plates. Yes, and I was growing way fast. I was too big. Obviously, I'm five foot ten now, but <clears throat> I was already a big kid, and you know I was growing. There was like a year I grew like four inches, and another Whoa. four inches, and my feet were. And you know you're just pounding your body. It's it's not the best. Um, but what I say is it teaches you great body awareness, which a lot of the average people don't have. Um, and what I mean by that is <clears throat> how to control, isolate a muscle to do exactly what you need it to do because gymnastics is so much about little movements, you know, bends and stuff like that. So it's, it's really a, I don't know if it's your fine motor skills or something, but it really teaches you great body awareness and you know, what hurts, what's strained, what's actually broken, what's you know, all those types of things. And uh, it carried on into volleyball where you can't hit the net. Like that's a thing you can't do. So you run, jump, leap, hit with all this force. And then you just have to stop before hitting the net. Like yes. it's actually ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of us wind up with like, like screwed up toenails because you're stopping, you know, with such force. Uh, yes. But I don't think I ever had a net violation all at college, which is really rare because you just know how to suck your stomach in and stop movement. Yes. I think it's important for anything, uh, you know, later on in life, if you're ever in a physical altercation to just know how to roll on the floor to, to, to do something without actually hurting yourself because you can control the right muscles. And, mm -hmm. and I think it carries on to a lot of things. So if you have high body confidence, you can, you can engage the world in a different way. Yes. Um, I think, and I, well, not, I think I know I experienced that. So. Sure. I mean, just your presence walking into the room. Right. Having oh, been an athlete, right? I, I take up a lot of space. Anyone would tell you that. Um, and I think it's actually important for women, especially. I mean, I'm 5'10", but I could easily be slumped over. You know, I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it. I love putting on a pair of heels. <clears throat> Not huge, but like give me two inches. So now I'm six feet tall. I've got these big square shoulders. Yeah. And I walk in and take up all the space and I haven't even opened my mouth. And I think that's important or it was important, important use for a tool for me especially in sports where the guys are very big themselves like my co-workers right. are six six you know six yeah. five former linemen you know right. seven <laughs> foot basketball players right so I think it was important to level set you had to take I have to take up as much space as possible um and and people have always told me that they're like there's no way you don't notice when I walk in and it's not anything here it's mm -hmm. just we're, we're taught to notice how someone occupies space. And yes. so sport gave me that, you know, it's not that way for everyone though. Not everyone had great experience in sport. A lot of people sure. got in sport and got crushed by a coach or, right. you know, they were on the bench most of it and it affected their confidence. But I do, 
think by and large, the concept of repetition, you know, muscle memory, and then discipline that goes with doing the things that you're supposed to do when your coach isn't watching you the whole time. Practice. Definitely. You know, that's on you. So it, it teaches you those things. And now, is it exclusive to sport? No. I, I had friends who are very dedicated to violin, you know, or mm-hmm. flute or whatever. But it's, you know, by and large, I think because of the physical part of it, you know, a little different than music, there, there are, is, yes, the same dis- discipline and practice, but then there's this whole other thing, again, about a world that still very much rewards or pays attention to physicality, size, strength. You know? Yes. You know, I wanted to ask you this because here we are in a pandemic and oh. there are so many people out <laughs> of work. Over. <laughs> I know, really. Is it over it yet? Was- We've been saying that for like seven months. It's fine. Right. Um, What advice would you give to kids in school, you know, young adults that are feeling very down right now? Because you named a few things, but what would you say to them? Well, I actually think it's it's an important pause button. yeah, I wouldn't frame it as it being a negative necessarily. It, it, and, and that's because I was just thinking the other day, think of all the kids that are escaping being bullied right now. True. Because, right? Think of all the kids that dread going to school yeah. because they're the little kid. Yeah. They've got the thick glasses. They, you know, all the things that, we, that young kids right. get tortured over, mm-hmm. the cruelty. Uh, what a haven for them. Right? right now they can just learn they're in a screen, but those people can't, they can't them. reach them in the same way. And their parents are there yes. with them. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, again, I, it's use the time that you have. So, you know, don't look at it negatively. Um, but I, I would just say to kids, this is a great lesson that life is not a straight line. The world is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. you know, but what do you want to do? You know, and I, again, I wouldn't have this conversation with a six-year-old. Six-year-old is going to want to eat chocolate and play right. in the yard, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, like a teen or something, you know, how are you going to use this time uh, differently? Like, what are you learning? What, what is this letting you do differently? And mm-hmm. um, again, I wouldn't look at it as necessarily a negative for children. That's it's good. Because diff- it's different. It's just different. Yeah. It's a whole lot of different. Uh, and then I would probably look to point out times in the world where, you know, from when my Nana and, and Pop-Pop grew up, you know, they had a depression to go through. They had victory gardens, you know, sure. during the war. Right. They didn't know where their food was coming from for years. So there's always a great struggle or unpredicted thing. And I think it says a lot about, you know, it gives you time to just kind of accept that and then see yeah. how you respond. But, you yeah. know, again, it, it, there's no one size fits all about it. I just definitely. I was even excited the other, not excited. Let's not say the word excited. Okay. But I thought about, yeah, kids aren't being bullied. And we haven't had to talk about school shootings. There's that. I know. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, maybe that just goes away. You know, like we got so anesthetized to it every other freaking week. Right. There's another one. Here's another one. How many in a year? And it's like 30, 40. And then walking into businesses, people, you know, there has been... Nothing. Just like a beautiful respite from that. Yes. And, you know, maybe that's a habit change because I always felt like, you know, once that started, when we really would market at Columbine, it became this for people to think that is a way to glory, you know, whatever messed up 
mm -hmm. uh, thought that they had, well, this is how I go down in history. And, and now there's like six or seven or maybe 12 months where that doesn't, that's not a thing. Yes. You know, and maybe that's the thing that stops it. I don't know. I just, I was trying to reframe like why, I mean, yes, it's terrible. Parents are having a terrible time working and I hate that kids are probably not getting the quality of education. Right. Most Whatever. of them, but then yeah. the kids that are being side. bullied, but the kids being bullied actually probably getting a way better education because they're not stressed out, scared yes. of being made fun of and they're, you know, things thrown out of them in class. So yes. Um, I was trying to find some positive. I mean, that's what I've been doing. I think that's, that's what good. we're all doing. <laughs> we need to. We need to. Yeah. yeah. I contacted you because I had watched that unbelievable TED Talk. And I appreciate that. It was so powerful. And I had so many thoughts, and I was so glad that you responded to be on the show. Of course. Tell me what happened. You were working at ESPN. Yeah. And here you are in Italy, and you met someone. Yeah, I uh, I met an artist, uh, just like a local artist in Rome. My friend and I had just gone shopping. I bought a chandelier for my new apartment. I just bought my first place in Hoboken, and I had it in my head. I'm gonna get this beautiful chandelier and hang it like these old apartments, like 1800s kind Amazing. of thing. And, um, and we stopped for a glass of wine and some cheese at about like four or five, and met this cafe owner who came out. He was from North Carolina, or he had lived in North Carolina for a while, which was like totally surprising in the middle of Rome. And yes, and then he introduced this guy Marco and said, "Oh, he's a local artist. You know, he's lived here and he works in Caravaggio's like studio, like just you know, just conversational." And then later on, like after we went toward the studio, it was really cool. Um, you know, Marco asked if I wanted to meet up for drinks later. And at first I said no, because I would always say no, because I'm just like way over cautious. And, um, but then usually I'm always traveling by myself. So that's why, but now I had someone with me who knew where I was and all this kind of thing. So yeah, so I grew, I was like, you know, I'll meet him out. He's really interesting. And, um, you know, and then like, I don't know, eight hours later, you know, I'm trying to, he just locked me in his apartment, a place I'd been earlier in the evening, which is actually not in the Marie Claire article I wrote. I'd gone early in the evening. It was real close to my hotel. And he was telling me that he used to host events for the Roman film festival on the rooftop. Mm -hmm. And I was in film at the time. And so I was doing Tribeca, Sundance, like all that for our films division. And so I thought he was full of shit, quite frankly. So I was like, oh yeah, let's go see this. And I went and saw it. I was like, well, that is actually quite a stunning view, but I still don't believe that you're hosting parties up here, you know? Interesting. But, but I, was, I was interested because he said the Roman film festival and he was talking about Robert De Niro. And yes. Robert De Niro is co-founder of Tribeca. Right. And I know his publicist, Stan. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to say, say to Stan, like, were you ever, I wanted to get a photo. Were you ever on this rooftop? Yes. You know, just whatever. And so that's kind of where that came from. I didn't go up there to get hot and heavy, you know, and that's yes. just not my approach. Um, but, you know, when you look back, you're like, oh, he got me comfortable being isolated. Like, yes. he... He was, because he's a predator, so he's looking at the whole night through, how can I get her comfortable? How can I get her guard down? How can I isolate, you yes. know? And I'm the whole time going, I already told you up front, we're not having sex tonight. I think you're interesting. And I said those words. I was 32. I mean, these are the things I think you have to say sometimes, you know? How, how old was he? He was, I think he was two years older than me, 34. Mm -hmm. But I was 32. Like, you know, I'm an adult. Yes. And I'm like, I just want to be really clear. Oh, I'll meet you for a drink, and you're really interesting. But I'm like, I'm not looking to sleep with you. Right. And, uh, you know, so in my head, once I've said that, he's nodded, I understand. Mm -hmm. That's not in play. So right. now I'm having a nice night. But when you're with a predator, they're just like, they don't care what you said. Exactly. 
And that's what you learn after the fact. So Mm -hmm. people are always like, Carrie, did you see this? Like, no, because I I don't, I've never met a predator like that. I've never had anyone try to rape me. Like, yeah. And nobody prepares you for that because we all talk about, you know, a random guy or, you know, whatever. But this was, he wasn't necessarily random. I was already kind of comfortable. You know, my friend knew who he was. It's not anything we really talk about when we talk about rape. We talk about a date, people you know, or we talk about a stranger. Mm-hmm. And then there's this like middle space. And if you did all the things on the list, which I felt I had done, I set the expectation. I had a curfew. I made sure someone knew where I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Right. Right. You would have thought you would have thought. And so I just get really feisty about these lists that we give women like mm-hmm. do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, Oh, cause that's fine. It'll stop that guy that does that. But then there's like this whole host of other guys who have a whole other approach. And it's, it's this like ridiculous thing we put on women. So I remember coming out of that going for the first few months like, after he attacked me, he locked me in his apart- uh, apartment and physically, you know, he was beginning to assault me and I had to get in a fist fight and fight to get out the other door onto the balcony and jump off the balcony and bleeding and climb on down all these buildings. And it was just like this awful ordeal. Excuse me. How tall was he? What was his physical? Oh, he's a big guy. Like I can tell you, he's a, I'd say he was six one. But he outweighed me by about 80 pounds, which is your athleticism. Yeah. Helped. I would think. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. It's so hard to tell the story. It's like, I don't want to get too detailed because you don't have to, and I'm not going to cry, but I, no, I just, I just, you know, um, but you know, here's the thing, as strong as I am, I was getting tossed like a rag doll which was really hard mentally for someone like me who's never right. experienced that. Cause I sure. think I am a badass. Yeah. I think when I walk around, you're not going to like, you're going to be like, eh, not her. <laughs> right. No. I don't want any of what's going right. on. Yeah. And he was just like, Oh yeah. Game on. Like let's. And I think half of the shock was that I can't believe you're actually trying to do this. And then like when he was hitting me, like I hadn't been hit by a man. And so I think the biggest thing as a woman is you're going, you're not supposed to do that. You know, you're not supposed to do that. Right. Like, like we have certain taboos in our society that are actually pretty entrenched culturally. And the shock of that, we don't talk even about that aspect of just taking a blow to your face or your body Mm -hmm. in violence from a man, like a full grown man, not the little boys I got in scraps with. Mm-hmm. on the playground it is it takes your breath away and mm-hmm. it is a psychological assault there is such shock and um panic panic mm-hmm. because i think we also told that men and women in a fist fight the woman's mostly going to lose right i think that's what we've always in society so so you're dealing with that as well not just that you're scared right. not that this person is trying to do these things but i'm in a fist fight with a grown grown man and he's not stopping he's not stopping he doesn't have any shame about it mm. and I think those are all the things that really made that hard for me but when I decided to escape because I had learned in a self-defense class years years ago at Syracuse if there's a, a an exit available to you take it fight like hell to get to the exit you know if someone's trying to lock you in somewhere the time to fight is before that lock latches yes and he knew he saw my eyes go to this sliding glass door back out to the balcony and he kind of 
came in front of me and he was trying to close the door and just like, let me know, like, I know what you're going to do. And, and then I just threw my full body at him. Like I went running, boom, like just like lowered my shoulder and, and I got out, but you know, he grabbed me and it was like this total, like crazy fist fight. He like picked me up by my bra. Like I remember popping my rib and like, that's when I felt like I got tossed in. And then it's just like a full on fist fight scramble, but he was drunk and I wasn't. And so he kept tripping on the long inseam of his jeans. So as long as I was able to knock him off his balance, he would actually fall over. Good. And every time I hit him hard enough to make him stumble back, he'd trip himself. Okay. Again, he's a big, he's 80 pounds heavier. So he's yes. up in the 250s, 250 or 240, you know, he falls over and it gives me time. Yes. So when that would happen, I would look and be like, what the hell? How do I, what am I going to, and I just looked over and thought, oh, there's about eight feet down. I can get there. And that runs all the way along these next two buildings and I'll figure it out. I just remember being like, I'll figure it out. Yes. And so I was getting really fatigued and, but because I trust myself physically, just the fact that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that. I think that's, that's what comes from growing up in sports. Yes. I never quite, people say, how did you think? I'm like, it was just like, well, shoot, I've got like a good, you know, I've got traction on my boots. Like they're flat. Like yeah, I'm, I'm in athletic pants. Like, you know, I was in a, you know, these legging, you know, jeans. I mean, it wasn't, I was in anything restrictive and I was sober. So I mean, I just, uh, I was doing the calculations. Yeah, I can do that. And I think as an athlete, you do that all the time. Yes, definitely. You know what you can withstand. Yeah. So I, I try to say this to people, like, it's hard when I tell people what happened and get to speak to them because I, I hate the worst outcome is when a woman says, oh, I could never do that. You know, or I, I didn't do that. I, you know, I, 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 I was right, but I just didn't want to die. And I'm like, it's okay. Well, this is not a competition. Like, yes, what you do in that moment is what you've decided is best for you to get through it. And if you've survived it, that is the only, that is the great outcome. Like yes. that is the goal and no one should ever, you should not. So don't listen to me and feel shame that you didn't get in a fist fight. Right. You knew this guy was going to kill you. If right. you knew you were never going to land a shot, like, yeah don't, that's not why I tell my story. So, um, but I, I, I just know that that is why I felt in that moment. I am sure it had everything to do with my sense of self and yeah. my confidence and yeah. yeah, but I don't use that to shame anyone. Who no, of course not. And then what I saw you say, which was amazing is how ESPN within 24 hours oh, yeah. had somebody there. Oh, it was, yeah. I, I um, had my sister call my boss uh, I was at the embassy and I was allowed like one call or something. They, they dial out for you. Um, my sister's husband at the time, like he had connected me with the embassy officer on duty at like two in the morning when I got back to my hotel. And so I went through this whole argument with the police trying to drag me out for questioning. And the embassy had told me, do not go with the police until you have an interpreter because the Amanda Knox case was going on. Oh. That guy, Domenico, Domenico, my embassy officer, mm-hmm. he was her embassy officer too. And so like, they were like, do not go anywhere until you have an interpreter. We can't get you one until the morning, until it opens at eight. People think they can just show up at the embassy. You cannot. It's yeah. closed. So right. you get attacked at two in the morning. You, you still got six hours to wait when this guy knows where you're sitting, you oh. know, which was just very stressful. I uh, got myself to a hospital to get checked out, uh, get x-rays. 
And um, yeah, and then, you know, I get to the embassy, deal with the officers and have my sister, I call my sister and I have her call Rob and I said, tell Rob what's going on. And I may not be back for work. I don't even know when I'm getting on a flight. I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know if we can get out of the country. Right. Um, but then she lost contact with me. I didn't have a cell phone that worked overseas. Whoa. You know, I only took him for pictures. But I, yeah. I mean, this was in 2008. Like I wasn't huh. at the time paying for plans for overseas, you know, calls. And um, yeah, so she freaked. Amanda got, as you would imagine, she, I said, don't tell mom and dad. Right. Dad will try to board a plane with a gun. He doesn't have one, but he will try to go get one <laughs> and fly over here and do something very right. dumb. So don't right. tell them till I'm back in the States. So she's handling it by herself. So she calls Rob and then she's like, I haven't heard from her. They put me in questioning for like 14 hours. So I, I didn't, she had no idea where I was. And um, yeah. And so they somehow he called Burbank security or our security guys. They called Burbank Burbank called, the Italian attache to a guy we had from London to another guy in Italy. I mean, it was just like, all I know is I come out of police questioning and I get to this new hotel that the embassy set up for me. And this man in the lobby is like, are you Carrie Potts? And at first I got really scared. Oh, the sun just got really bright. Um, at first I got really scared because I thought maybe Marco had the guy that attacked me had sent him. Oh, right? yeah, of course. Because I'm like, no one else, why would anyone know my name? You know, and then he just said, you know, Rob Tobias sent me and I just lost my oh. shit. I just lost it. Like he put me on the phone with Rob mm -hmm. and Chris LaPlaca. And I just remember Chris LaPlaca, he's still the senior vice president of ESPN PR. And he said, you know, how are you, baby? Like, how are you? And I'm like, I kicked his ass. And he's like, <laughs> T1 athlete, baby. That's how we do it. I'm like, yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, totally not I wish I'd been a black belt. Yeah, right. It was. Yeah. It, yeah. It was very jock ESPN-ish, but that's what I needed. Good. I needed a chest bump, not like a head pat. Right. Exactly. I, need, I needed like to tap into the like, I am a badass. And that guy thought he could do it. That's how I yeah. prop myself yeah. up. Yeah. And it was important I do that because I was scared. And I saw that he actually admitted guilt. He did. Well, here's the thing. I mean, he had, the evidence was clear. Mm. It was so clear. I had a witness who's like, this woman appeared on our balcony, five stories up, covered in blood. She tells me that there's an Italian man that tried to rape her and she's, he's going to kill her. Yeah. And she's totally lucid. I mean, she landed on our fifth, fifth floor block and the only way there was this 20 foot leap. So he couldn't, he's like, there. I mean, the, even when the police saw it, they were like, the fact that you made this jump, right? Right. Like you weren't hammered. You're not telling us some bunk tale. There's no good explanation. Yeah. The man saw that you were bleeding everywhere, you know, because by the time the cops see you, you don't have blood anywhere. You just had some scrapes and stuff, but you know, no woman does that to herself. Right. Right. And um, so between that and then when the prosecutor interviewed me, I had to go back over there. And it was like six hours of just her grilling me. And I was just very clear, like, actually his finger, he scraped my vagina. Like he, it wasn't because the way the, even the way the report was written, you know, it's by an Italian guy. And then the interpreter, there were some things that weren't necessarily clear. Like when I said he tried to penetrate, I mean, like he got very close. He was touching me, but I, I stopped him, mm -hmm. his hand, mm -hmm. but he still touched me there. The fact that he touched me changed the charge. Yes. 
to sexual assault, like an actual sex, because that is digital, you know, he's going for digital rape. Sure. Um, and so I left an interview where he was looking at five years and then he was looking at 12 years. Mm-hmm. And between the evidence, my interview being rock solid, the police being able to track, yes, this is how she did it. Oh yeah, there's her blood and my bloody clothes and the bot, like the judge had said to him after your investigation, like, there's no way you will be found innocent if this goes to trial. So yeah. you should probably plea. Um, you know, and when they plea, they plea to the actual charge. They don't plea to a reduced charge. Okay. They plea. So here, you know, you say like, oh, if you admit you're no longer a first degree murder, you're manslaughter or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's not how it is there. He had a plea and he pled to those charges, sexual assault and simple assault. Although they don't have a charge for, um, you know, holding someone against their will, which is, really? I, I wanted that charge too. Like he literally was like, you're not going anywhere tonight. He said that to me, you're not, you're not going anywhere. You know, going anywhere tonight. So that's like kidna- I mean, in my head, that's kidnapping. That's that's abduction. You know, yeah. Yes, and and so the fact that that wasn't frustrated me. But anyhow, when you they plea, you your charges, your sentence is knocked down two thirds automatically. Uh-huh. And then, um, and then because he was a first time, whatever's there goes down another third. It's the first first time he's been arrested for this. I don't believe it's the first time he ever. Heard I don't think so. Yeah, no, of course not. He was way comfortable. He's textbook. I'm doing all the rape crisis work I've done. Like he was so refined in it, and I just screwed up because he, I was nothing that he thought I was going to be. He thought I'd get scared. He thought he could get me drunk. He thought all the things he could do that he, that his little way that he, right. And I just, I totally upended his whole system. But by the end of it, he pled guilty. He got 11 months, 10 days, and nothing. that's it. it was, yeah, suspended sentence, never even went. He had five years that if he actually committed another crime that he'd have to go to jail for that, mm-hmm. um, which is just, and this judge was like a specialist in sexual assault. And I, I'm like, this is where we say women are not a monolith. We're not all pulling for each other. Like she literally in her mind just thought, oh, this is a guy that it just got out of hand. Oh, come on. Oh, she absolutely, I mean, how could you? Not put this guy away. I have literally pointed out to you a citizen yeah. in, your, in your, that did something so terrifying, almost mm-hmm. killed me because he could not let go of the idea that I was getting away from him. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck. My shirt got stuck as I went over the balcony and he's just shaking me over the city, like six stories over this like cobblestone street. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, let go of me. Let go of me. It's over. Like, let go. You have to let go. And he's, no, no. And it's just like, and, and she's, she makes it so that he never is rich. like he's just out there. I'd love to ask her. So, do you have a daughter? I don't think she gives a sh- like. Yeah. I have her name, and I was so I was supposed to go back. I went back to Italy in my ten year anniversary two years ago. I had this big going away party. It was called Carrie's Escape Anniversary. I saw all that. my friends. We, I did. I held up. I I did all this. Like the half the room was decorated with all my emails and papers and state department documents and lawyer communications. So people could step in and see exactly all the things I had to do, yeah. which no one ever gets the chance to see in a rape case or a sexual right. assault case Exactly. So because of privacy, as you would expect. But I was like, I want you to see what I had to deal when they drop a, you know, five page document in, in Italian on the, the day before Thanksgiving weekend in the States, but they don't have to, they, and it's due on Friday in Italy. You know, all these types of things that were like me jumping through hoops. Right. Um, so I do this whole thing. I fly over there. I'm supposed to go see my old embassy officer. I'm going to speak um, at a school that is like a, a university for 
crime, um, training, you know, police and crime and sex crimes and all that. And, um, and part of me was like, you know, I want to go look up dot, dot for whatever her name is. Like I, her formal title and just like, mm-hmm. I wanted to go visit, see if I could get in. Yes. Or drop a letter, sit in the hallway. Cause I know where the, the justice center is and say to her, like, this is what my life's been like, you know? And, and yeah. the fact that it came from you, a woman who never, you did nothing to help me, you know, like it just, um, disgusting. It is. No, it really is. It was such a miss on her part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it was because the Amanda, and I, I've no, maybe she didn't want this whole America. I, I don't know. I don't know. She didn't want the, the trial or something, but right. it was awful. But anyhow, I went over and then my dog got killed right as I landed. And I turned oh. around and flew home. He was the love of my life. And he, oh. he got attacked right after I landed and I turned around and flew home. So I never got to, that was my big going back to Italy. First oh. time in 10 years. I left in tears again, hysterical. <laughs> some people are like you can never go to Rome again Ugh. like never all my friends you're not allowed even if you yeah. think you're going to go to Croatia I think and you're then done. like take a boat no, no you're, you're done. Not. <laughs> I'm like what if I come in from France they're like nope no no you're done you're done you're done yeah. Italy does not like you <laughs> oh my gosh yeah. and then at <laughs> what point did you decide to switch gears and make this your life passion that you were going well, that was the starting point yeah that was the starting point because i wrote an article about what happened mostly to try to find other people who prosecuted overseas mm-hmm. but by the time it got published nine months after i worked with the writer on it my case had already been he already pled out so i didn't need to find anyone anymore and then the article came out and i hardly heard from anybody that was and i heard from no one overseas i heard from a woman in australia who got whose daughter was killed during a crime like mine, mm. but no one stateside. I heard from all stateside victims. So then I start getting asked to go speak, which my first speech is still on my website at a fight back woman. It's the first, you know, first time I ever spoke publicly and it was at the Clinton school for public affairs. And it's very unvarnished, I will say. Um, but after that speech, all these people would line up to talk to me and they would disclose that they had been raped. And they were all in tears. And I'm sure I can tell you I was the first person they told to. That's what drew them to the event. Yes. And, and they would say, well, I was raped on a cruise ship. I woke up and my pants were on my ankles. And then we were in Greece and I didn't know what to, And I'm like, you know, and it was just like one story after another. What do I do? What do I do? And I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know how to answer. So I should go figure out. I should go answer. get training on how to answer. Yes. I'm not so arrogant oh, my experience makes me this expert. No, I mean, in some ways, yeah, on Italian sexual assault, I feel like I'm pretty well-versed on the law, and you know, mm-hmm. but I can tell you about cruise ships in Greece. What flag was it flying under? I have no idea. Was it a Jamaican, like Barbados? Like, is that a U.S. State Department? Is that, like, what? So I got my training, and then really, that was, you know, then I just became more and more interested, but I'm still to this day not satisfied we have not addressed sexual assault of Americans overseas. We have no little to no services here. Everything's still geared toward domestic. The big group that's called Rain has a relationship with embassies. But the embassies are very limited. They cannot provide all the things that you need. So you're very much alone. That's um, so scary. So, yeah, so I'm on this organization Pathways, but we've been so defunded 
by this, this administration that um, we're probably going to shut our doors at the end of the month. And for 20 years, that oh. organization has helped women escape abuse and sexual assault overseas, usually help them get their kids out, you know, Hague petitions, filing Hague petitions. Uh, you know, people marry, you know, you marry here and then you go over to, I don't know, Jordan or something. And you're in a country where you pretty much have no rights as a mother or a woman. You can't get your kids out. That was the origins of that. But then they got a grant to build up the sexual assault side. And there was such need. I mean, we've got students, mm -hmm. massive system of sending students abroad, military and business women and men. Right. And so the calls were just coming in fast and furious and they finally got the funding to develop that. And then right as we got it up and running, you know, the funding got pulled. So uh, I am still committed to getting back to that. I just, now I'm doing the work full time. You yeah. know, I finally built up enough equity, enough credibility and, and my passion just, it, it became like there was nothing else I wanted to do. Yes. You know, sport, just nothing more that I want to do is this. I want to do this work the rest of my days. And so coming to that realization, now I'm in the space full time. And now that I'm doing it full time, I can focus on this other thing that, that I want to do. Good. But it was really hard to have a full time job that was sometimes 90, 100 hours, especially when football kicked off, right? Whoa. You yeah. got games Labor Day weekend. You have games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Mm -hmm. All hours. Ratings are coming in, you know how can I be working on this other thing? Right. You didn't very, very piecemeal, but now, and I'm in the right town. Yes. I'm going to find my way. So it's still a dream. That's but right. Part of the dream was getting in the work full time so that I could then activate that network, build the network and get to where, what I want to do ultimately. That's amazing. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, well, I still have my site at fightbackwoman.com and you know, I really stopped with a lot of the daily blog posts because I only think I should write when I have something to say, you know, when I have something to add and a lot of it, I wind up doing interviews now, you know, and I should probably link those to there, but I think you guys have a much bigger following than my little site. But the reason I created my site in 2010 and I would recommend anyone go there is actually the, or if you go back to the beginning posts, it literally outlines the entire experience I had in all of the court system, criminal justice system, and the outcomes. And that is the educational part of that site. And then the rest of it is really the years, that aftermath, those two to five years after where you're just trying to get your feet under you again. And, I, and I'm very, very honest about everything I went through. So, you know, if you want to know about this and me through that, that's probably the best place. And then, then and it also covers a lot of the speaking and work I've done right up till probably a year or two ago. Um, or even last year, I went to Nairobi for the UN. Oh, really? Doing some, yeah, women's conference, UNFPA, mm -hmm. and hosted a panel. So, um, you know, it's not hard to find stuff about me. I love because I do love to talk about. I want to always be accessible. I want people to see you can be this executive, be this accomplished sports person, and then you can talk about your sexual assault, and it is, yes. doesn't define you. It's just another thing. And I'm right. always want to be available to people for questions. I always make sure my email, my email is on the site. Okay. And I, get, I still get emails from around the world. So good. Yeah. Do you think that there'll ever come a day where women can actually walk alone at night, go overseas and feel safe? You know, it's the dismantling of the patriarchy yeah. and, 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 and patriarchy is not about men. It's about a system that oppresses men and women. Mm -hmm. It's the system that says to men, you have to be this way to be a man. Yeah. It's a system that says women, have child, you know, they, they get to take uh, maternity leave, but men don't. 
you're not allowed to connect with your child, you know, and that hurts us societally as much as, well, you have to outsource your protection to men or to guns. You know, the expectation that women need protection. Well, what do you need protection from? Men. Men. Right? Men. Yeah. So it's funny, we need men to protect us from men, which is totally, has gotten us nowhere. Exactly. So I, I have to say though, when I was at that conference, the ICPD, um, the, the big UN deal in Nairobi, there was a gentleman from uh, Jordan. He was awesome. He's an excellent feminist. And he said, we're starting to see the crumbling. And just like before a fire goes out, it burns the brightest and the hottest. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of where we're at now. But with these leaders of countries, we're seeing successfully navigate coronavirus with all the things we're starting to learn about emotional intelligence. And that actually has better outcomes on the business element. Um, right. Will I see it in my lifetime? Maybe not. But I do. I, I, I have hope. I have hope. That's good. Yeah. I want to thank you so much. This has been amazing. I feel like all I do is just talk very long, and I wish I could answer more questions because <laughs> I love, you know, I appreciate your interest. Absolutely. Give your website one more time. Uh, AFightBackWoman.com. Okay. So all those words together, AFightBackWoman.com. Okay.